I never wondered what the dear old donkey with the panniers, there he is, was made of. Then, his hide was real to the touch, I recollect, and the great black horse with the round red spots all over him. The horse that I could even get upon, I never wondered what had brought him to that strange condition, or thought that such a horse was commonly seen at New Market. The four horses of no color next to him that went into the wagon of cheeses and could be taken out and stabled under the piano appear to have bits of fur tippet for their tails and other bits for their manes and to stand on pegs instead of legs. But... It was not so when they were brought home for a Christmas present. They were all right then. Neither was their harness unceremoniously nailed into their chests, as appears to be the case now. The tinkling works of the music cart I did find out to be made of quill, toothpicks, and wire. And I always thought that little tumbler in his shirt sleeves perpetually swarming up one side of a wooden frame and coming down, head foremost, on the other, rather a weak-minded person, though good-natured. But Jacob's ladder next him, made of little squares of red that went flapping and clattering over one another, each developing a different picture, and the whole enlivened by small bells, was a mighty marvel and a great delight. Ah, the doll's house, of which I was not a proprietor, but where I visited. I don't admire the houses of Parliament half so much as that stone-fronted mansion with real glass windows and doorsteps and a real balcony, greener than I ever see now, except at watering-places and even they afford but a poor imitation. And though it did open all at once, the entire house front, which was a blow, I admit, as cancelling the fiction of a staircase, it was but to shut it up again, and I could believe. Even open, there were three distinct rooms in it, a sitting room and bedroom, elegantly furnished, and best of all, a kitchen with uncommonly soft fire irons, a plentiful assortment of diminutive utensils, oh, the warming pan, and a tin-man cook in profile, who was always going to fry two fish. What barmecide justice have I done to the noble feasts wherein the set of wooden platters figured? each with its own peculiar delicacy, as a ham or turkey, glued tight onto it, and garnished with something green, which I recollect as moss. Could all the temperance societies of these later days, united, give me such a tea-drinking as I have had through the means of yonder little set of blue crockery, which really would hold liquid, it ran out of the small wooden cask, I recollect, and tasted of matches, and which made tea nectar. 
And if the two legs of the ineffectual little sugar tongs did tumble over one another and want purpose, like Punch's hands, what does it matter? And if I did once shriek out as a poisoned child and strike the fashionable company with consternation by reason of having drunk a little teaspoon, inadvertently dissolved into hot tea. I was never the worse for it, except by a powder. Upon the next branches of the tree, lower down, hard by the green roller and miniature gardening tools, how thick the books begin to hang, thin books in themselves at first, but many of them, and with deliciously smooth covers of bright red or green. What fat black letters to begin with? A was an archer and shot at a frog. Of course he was. He was an apple pie also. And there he is. He was a good many things in his time, was A, and so were most of his friends, except X, who had so little versatility that I never knew him to get beyond Xerxes or Zentipi, like Y, who was always confined to a yacht or a yew tree, and Z, condemned forever to be zebra or a zany. But now, that very tree itself changes and becomes a beanstalk, the marvelous beanstalk up which Jack climbed to the giant's house, and now those dreadfully interesting double-headed giants with their clubs over their shoulders begin to stride along the bows in a perfect throng, dragging knights and ladies home for dinner by the hair of their heads. And Jack, how noble, with his sword of sharpness and his shoes of swiftness. Again, those old meditations come upon me as I gaze up at him, and I debate within myself whether there was more than one Jack, which I am loth to believe possible, or only one genuine, original, admirable Jack, who achieved all the recorded exploits. Good for Christmas time is the ruddy color of the cloak, in which the tree making a forest of itself for her to trip through, with her basket, Little Red Riding Hood comes to me one Christmas Eve to give me information of the cruelty and treachery of that dissembling wolf who ate her grandmother without making any impression on his appetite, and then ate her after making that ferocious joke about his teeth. She was my first love. I felt that if I could have married Little Red Riding Hood, I should have known perfect bliss. But it was not to be, and there was nothing for it but to look out the wolf in the Noah's Ark there, and put him late in the procession on the table, as a monster who was to be degraded. Oh, wonderful Noah's Ark! It was not found seaworthy when put in a washing tub and the animals were crammed in at the roof and needed to have their legs well shaken down before they could be got in. Even there, and then, ten to one, 
but they began to tumble out at the door, which was but imperfectly fastened with a wire latch. But what was that against it? Consider the noble fly, a size or two smaller than the elephant, the ladybird, the butterfly, all triumphs of art. Consider the goose, whose feet were so small and whose balance was so indifferent that he usually tumbled forward and knocked down all the animal creation. Consider Noah and his family, like idiotic tobacco stoppers, and how the leopards stuck to warm little fingers, and how the tails of the larger animals used gradually to resolve themselves into frayed bits of string.